Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. ¿Qué tal, mi gente? It's your girl, Daddy's Jasmine, and welcome to Hello Latino. Today's guest is mi primo, mentor, y inspiración, Oscar Garcia. Oscar is a proud Chicano, Mexican-American from the Bay Area, founder and chief empowerment officer of Espira Consulting, a Silicon Valley training and consulting firm. He's given over 375 seminars and trained over 12,000 professionals across five continents. He's also the host of a podcast called Career Talk with OG, He's all about empowering folks like you and me so opportunities can come naturally. In case you were curious about the title of this episode, Essencia, Essence, means the intrinsic nature and indispensable quality of something that determines its character. Latinidad, our culture, our upbringing, our first-gen story, it's the essence of who we are. Que disfruten esta conversación. Oh my God, Primo, I'm excited to have you on here because let me tell you, you were one of the people who helped me when I was going through a rough transition. I think I had just met you. I saw you randomly on LinkedIn and I asked my friend Carly, Carly Sheeler. Oh, yes. I was yes. like, oh my God, Carly has to introduce us because his content is relatable. You were talking about being you know, like Mexican-American, you were talking about, you were so open about your Latinidad. And I was like, wow. And so when I was thinking of who I wanted for the show, I was like, I have to get my primo on here. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for coming on. And yeah, I'm really excited to hear more about your story and just oh, hear more about all of you, right? Like your story, your Latinidad, being Mexican, I know you're really proud about that. And so all of it. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. Thank you very much for, for having me. I, I vividly remember, I don't know why, but I vividly remember a conversation that we had on the phone and mm -hmm. I was actually, I think it was in Cupertino in this new um, retail development near the Apple headquarters. And uh, I remember we were talking, yeah, um, I think at the time, were you traveling or going to school in San Francisco or working in San Francisco or thinking? So I had, I had just, um, like graduated. No, I had just left my job. That's what it was. Yes. I had just left my job, my full-time job. And I was like, I don't know what to do next. And so I wanted to connect with people and just hear about their story, hear about their career journey and just kind of learn through stories. You know, I'm all about the stories. And so sure. I saw all, you were so open about just all of these things that I was like, people on LinkedIn can talk about this. And I was so just inspired. So that's when I asked Carly, can you introduce us, please? Oh, yeah. No, thank you. And I have yeah. seen since then your, your career journey. And I'm really, really proud of you of mm, where, where you. you are right now and what you're doing, obviously, with your podcast. And it's really more than just a podcast. It's really a platform to give other people a voice to share their yeah. message or story. So thank you. 
Oh, absolutely. And with that, we can start with the first question, and that's how do you identify and why? Yeah. So let me tell you this first, okay? And I, I understand mm. your question. So I identify as a minority. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Mm. Growing up, like a lot uh, of us minorities, people of color, we just – I got made fun of, uh, made to feel that I didn't belong. I was made to feel that I was different. And I was made to feel that the word minority has a negative connotation. And as I have gotten older and certainly gone into the business world, mm -hmm. one of the things that as a business, we are always looking to be different, to differentiate ourselves from the competition. And the way my brain works, all of a sudden, I kind of like said, wait a minute, okay, so all my entire life as a, as a kid, I was made to feel that I was weird, that I was different, that I was a minority, yet in the business world, that's what you're supposed to do, be different. So wow. I was like, you know what? I am damn proud of being a minority because I will tell you one thing, anyone that's ever accomplished anything of, of significance is a small group of people, i.e. a minority. Now, mm. that's why I'm proud to be, I'm proud to be different, okay? I, I will embrace that until I die, and maybe that will be part of my legacy. But I know what your question is in terms of my ethnicity, and that's where most people go, okay? So I identify myself as a Chicano. And you, you've posted about this, how, how these identifiers evolve, right? Yes. And it's like... You know, one of the things that my friends here in San Diego say a lot is bocha or yeah, those type of words. Where, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I just I saw you you posted about it. It was like Mexican-American, you know, Chicano or Chicanex, you know, Latinx and all these different identifiers. Have you ever felt that? I mean, your whole life, have you identified differently in these different? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um so I'm a first generation. Both my parents um, were from Mexico, and my parents didn't speak English. Uh, I became a translator in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. The minute I learned how to speak English, until they passed away. Translating documents. Yes, man. I, I think at seven years old, I knew how to write a check. I knew how to pay the rent. I knew how to pay the utility bill. Mm -hmm. I mean, I became an adult, you know, before I even <laughs> developed peach fuzz. Okay, uh, and. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, my, so again, my parents, very traditional Mexicans. And so growing up, you know, quite frankly, through until it wasn't until I got to college, I was like, you know, Mexican. And then, you know, in school, I was like, oh, I'm Mexican American. And then I go to Berkeley and I, I love history. And I take a history class introduction to Chicano studies and, um, amazing professor, very dynamic, very engaging. And I start hearing, you know, the Chicano movement and this and that and so forth. And I'm like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. And so th that's part of where I also learned and understand the evolution of these terms. And I guarantee you, I mean, one day your kids are going to be looking at you and be like, you know, well, if you have kids, you know, mom, what? Latinx? Like, really? That's what you refer to? And just like today, the young generation, when they look at uh, Chicano or Pocho or whatever, you know, they call mm -hmm. it's, it just evolves. It's just part of, and, and I actually enjoy it. It's part of change, you know, that, uh, and it's, it's the sign of the times of where we are, what people's experiences are, and also the continuous blending 
uh, of the different generations and certainly the different uh, um, uh, Latinos from different countries. Yeah, yeah. And let's, well, talking about your parents' immigration story and them coming from Mexico, talk a little bit about that, right? That experience, if you know it, your family's immigration story, and then kind of you being yeah. a little adult at seven years old. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so my dad actually started coming to the U.S. back in probably like the late 50s, 60s as part of the Bracero program, which at the time the, uh, the U.S. government and Mexico, Mexican government had an agreement. It kind of reminds me of like in the tech industry, what we call the H1 visa program for, for engineers and you know, techs. And um, there was a shortage of uh, laborers in, in, in the fields and the, in the, um, in the farms, uh, migrant workers. And so, so my dad was part of that and he would come for the season to work um, and then go back to Mexico, et cetera, and so forth. And it was through the Bracero program that my dad was able to obtain his green card. Well, then fast forward and my dad brings my mom uh, to California undocumented, my mother was undocumented for a few times going back and forth. And, uh, and then one of the times, you know, uh, I was born and I was actually born in Southern California in Riverside. A month after I was born, we moved back to Mexico. I, we lived there until I was uh, about five years old. And then we returned back to California. My parents' plan was um, to, to, to work in California for about a year, save money, and like a lot of uh, immigrants, or at least Mexican immigrants, return back to Mexico. Well, they lost count, and uh, now I've been living in uh, the Bay Area and Silicon Valley for 46 years. Mm, and how's that been? So did you grow up in, in SoCal? No, no, no. I was I only popped out of my mother's womb in Southern California, because <laughs> a month after I was born, like I said, we moved oh, back to Mexico. It. Yeah, and then we came back five years later. My parents worked in the fields for a few months. Uh, my mom's sister, who lives in Mountain View in Silicon Valley, uh, mm. encouraged my parents to come to uh, to Mountain View. And so, yeah, since the age of five, I've been living uh, in, in the same same city. Wow. Quick segue. Have you seen the Bay Area change in you, all those years? Oh, my oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, just it, some like just some thoughts, right? I've heard this story before, but I'm like, wow, have you've probably seen it change so much? So, so when I was a kid, um, companies like Hewlett Packard, Intel, Fairchild Semiconductor, there was a lot of manufacturing in Silicon Valley, and it, it actually boded well for people that um, uh, maybe just had a high school degree, maybe in some cases didn't have a degree uh, mm. that they could go work in the electronics, or as my parents would say, in las electronicas, uh, and mm -hmm. the pay was, was pretty decent. But as Silicon Valley has changed over the years, and obviously we have very little manufacturing now in Silicon Valley, it's more sort of the software, or now really, I, I sometimes joke around and I say, you know, we shouldn't call it Silicon Valley because Silicon counts from the semiconductor chips. I said, we should call it now Social Media Valley because there's mm -hmm. all the social media companies uh, are here in Silicon Valley. And the result of these changes has been an astronomical high increase in housing, you know, rent, mm -hmm. buying a house. A house that, no, no exaggeration, when I was a kid, I used to throw rocks and break the windows Back then, costed two hundred to three hundred thousand. That same house, much older, one point seven million dollars today. Mm -hmm. so it's out of control. 
I, I can totally believe that in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, let's talk about you growing up. So you grew up in, in you know, like um, the Bay Area, right? Since yeah. you were a kid. So talking about what you said at the beginning, how you were judged for being different in school and, and all of that. So talk about those experiences because those are the first experiences you're navigating by yourself, right? You're like, yeah. Yeah. like how do I? <laughs> My parents can't necessarily help me here. Like. This is like me on my own, right? Yeah. Well, and it, you're right. And, you know, as a kid, you always want to fit in. I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're a white kid or a brown kid or, you know, black kid or whatever. I mean, you always want to fit in, you know. you. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, for me, like I mentioned, uh, going into, okay, yeah, early kindergarten, not knowing any English. Granted, by the second half of kindergarten, I was starting to speak English and so forth. But then there also came the cultural differences, uh, the food that, that we eat, the socioeconomic differences. Uh, my dad was a dishwasher. My mom worked in housekeeping. I was on the free and reduced lunch program. Uh, there was also the educational differences. My dad, uh, barely first grade education, my mom, middle school education. So quite frankly, in third grade, my parents, shoot, they couldn't help me with my homework in third grade. Okay, mm-hmm. let alone fourth, fifth, or even college or anything like that. Um, I they couldn't give me guidance in terms of what classes to take to make sure that I stayed college eligible. You know, when I graduated from high school, and so here I am navigating these things uh, on my own. And um, and then the other part too that was really really life changing for me was in fifth grade. Uh, my dad in Mexico was a butcher. Uh, he had his own business there. And one day in fifth grade, my dad uh, says to me, hey, son, I want you to get the bucket, uh, the knives and some towels ready. And I was like, wow, what are we going to do? Like, what the kind of weird, dad? Okay. And that was the start for about six to seven years. Every weekend, we would go to the slaughterhouses here in the Bay Area, and we would kill a pig, cow, goat, uh, sell fresh meat, um, make chorizo, just the way they do it in you know Latin American countries, and quite frankly, probably in every other country in the world except the U.S. Here, okay? Like yeah, screw you, Whole Foods. You know that you have the best fresh meat. No, it's not. Okay, I know what fresh meat is. Okay, um, but you're like yeah, I went to the slaughterhouse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was embarrassed though. I was embarrassed that we did that. And I just disappeared from my from my friends on the weekends. I couldn't play, you know, with them. And you know, my friends were like, "Hey, Oscar, how come you don't hang out with us anymore?" Oh, um, I'm busy. They're like, "What are you busy doing? What?" And I never told them because I was embarrassed. And and so, what are you going to say as a kid, right? I'm going to the slaughterhouse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like what? You know, like that, like it yeah. just wouldn't compute. I mean, even as an adult, that that doesn't compute. Some people get grossed out just hearing that. Okay, mm-hmm. and. Um, and anyway, so though all those things just really influenced my life uh, and, you know, I guess put barriers that I didn't know how to overcome uh, to feel confident in myself, to, to feel confident in being, you know, Mexicano, to feel confident in the food that I, that I ate, to feel confident that who gives a crap if my dad only has a first grade education and my mom, you know, middle school education, like, so what, you know? So it did have a tremendous uh, uh, influence on me in, in a way and in a negative way uh, for many mm-hmm. years. What, what was the turning point? What was the pivotal moment where you started to 
embrace, you know, your Mexican American side, because again, from my view, from the very first time I saw you just posting your stories out there, I was like, this, like, este hombre, he's proud, like, he's so proud to be Mexican, to be a Latino, to be a minority, he's so proud of all these adversities, because he's out there talking about how it made him a better person. So was there a pivotal moment for you where it's like, you know, it's been a process. It hasn't been, it wasn't just something, you know, that just like hit me. When I look back, mm -hmm. it is a process. And that's part of, um, I do some talks and trainings on vulnerability or authentic leadership. And I realize it, it is a, it is a process. It's like, I mean, I have kids and they're growing up now. And, you know, the day that they get married, it's not like, Oh, what was it? You know, son or daughter that you know made you get married. I mean, one, they had to be born, okay, and they had to go through life. <laughs> so that's kind of how I I look at it too. And in, in terms of, from my perspective, is that it has just been a journey. And really, though, it was maybe I would. You know what? It really uh, it really hit me. It's actually when I lost my parents uh, about five years ago, where. Uh, there was a moment, my mom, so my dad passed away first, and then my mom, four months later, and my mom was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And like I told you, I translated mm -hmm. for my parents. So I remember my brother and I went to go uh, meet with the doctor, uh, where he gave us a prognosis, showed us her x-rays and so forth. And the doctor says uh, to me, he says, do you want to go, but my mom was in the hospital at the time, and he says, do you want to go and tell your mom or would you like me to come and I didn't have the courage to just walk in the room and tell my mom and so I said you know what doc yeah. why don't you come and so the doc came he gave the news to my mom I translated I was translating and my mom uh turns to me and she says you know what is there you know what is there to do what options and I knew the answer okay and so I asked the doctor and you know translated and so forth but it really hit me in how here, my mom had, was given about six months to live, and there was no other cure because she was suffering from other illnesses, severe illnesses, and so forth. And I thought to myself, wow, my mom, you know, in this point that she's at, uh, she's at stage that she's at, who gives a crap what your sister said, what your relative said, what your boss said, what your coworker, et cetera, all that type is meaningless it is meaningless and who cares what other people say about you etc and so forth and that was something that just again i i take into heart and i realized like you know what it's important that we i always tell people share your story you know uh, just let people know do it from a point not from anger not from resentment not from you know being vindictive or anything but share your story with compassion and you know do it in a way where you tell share people the challenges that you went through how you overcame that challenge and what are the lessons that you learned that's what i mean yeah oh my god i'm so first of all i'm sorry you lost both of them in a matter of months yeah. and I think that's also, you know, just thinking about you translating in the hospital, it goes back to your childhood, right? Always yeah. translating in all these big moments, whether it's escribir el cheque or being rent, but like all of that. And it's still to the very end, you know, you were still doing that for your parents. And this goes to show like how amazing 
our families are, how amazing immigrants are, how amazing, you know, our parents are for coming to a country que no saben el, el idioma. Like, they don't know anything about this country. And really, like, we are the, this is the first-gen experience, right? We are the ones kind of not only navigating it ourselves, but helping our parents navigate these certain situations when it comes to, again, reading papers in English or yeah. <laughs> going to doctors, things like that. So I'm just thinking of like that connection of, wow, you know? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. No, you, and you know what? Um, I've been thinking of because of the situation that we've been in now for seven or eight months with the pandemic and shelter in place and, you know, unfortunately people losing their jobs or, you know, in some cases losing loved ones or they themselves also being uh, uh, um, affected, um, infected, excuse me, with the uh, COVID-19. And I think I'm like, Again, because I do a lot of self-reflection, but I also think I'm like, you know what? Those of us, minorities, first generation, or like you mentioned, you know, our parents, we have been through so much. We have mm -hmm. been through so much crap. Crap stinks, but, but crap is also fertilizer because that's what manure is. It's fertilizer. And if we step back, those of us that have gone through whatever challenge, if we step back, we actually realize that we are the the best equipped to overcome this challenge of this pandemic that we're in because we have so much experience of going through crap. But we, but oftentimes we don't think of it from that perspective because it's hard when you're in the midst of, of that, you know, uh, challenge, it's, you feel like you're in this quicksand. But again, if we step back, we're like, wait a minute, resiliency. We are some of the most resilient people our parents have been some of the most resilient people. Heck, my mother was uh, apprehended at least three times by the border patrol crossing illegally. She didn't give up. She's like, I'm going to figure it out. And she did. So if my mother can risk her life and get be apprehended, you know, multiple times by the border patrol, what's wrong with me by overcoming some of the challenges that I don't even compare to the challenges that my mother or my dad went through? Mm, so true. I I hear stories all the time and I, I've seen these experiences too. You know, La Migra, that was mm -hmm. a big thing growing up because my whole family was undocumented for a big chunk of my life. And I remember my dad told me this story and where we lived, it was primarily, you know, immigrants, primarily Latinos. So La Migra was always around. And so we were yeah. always like, you know, are they going to come? Like, where are they? And we would just hide. And yeah. like, that was the thing. It was like a lot of like hiding, even though, I mean, at the time I didn't know I was okay. But again, it's like, you're, you're just doing what your family's doing. Of course, yes. But my dad, my dad was always super smart. Bien inteligente. He was like, you know what? That's the problem. We hide. Yeah. He's like, you got to hide in like in public. <laughs> and that was his <laughs> like, that was his strategy. I'm like, that's a really scary strategy. But what he used to do, he told me the story where Everyone was hanging out. Ahí estaban con sus amigos que eran de Costa Rica, Nicaragua, you know, a lot of Central Americans. Mm -hmm. And they were all just hanging out. And then ahí pasa la migra. And you you already know, like, everyone's running back home. Everyone's just, like, getting out of the way, out of the street. Así como, like, like, this is real stuff. Like, this really happens. And my dad was like, I'm going to just stay here. And my mom... She wanted to go home, but she's like, well, don't get started out of mi viejo. So she stayed with him and she was just so scared. And la migra pasó ni mi papá. And he was like, where are your papers? 
And my dad's like, oh, mommy. And he looks at my mom. He's like, mommy, vea los papeles. And then my mom's like, oh, okay, okay. Like there was no papers, but she just goes back home, right? Yeah. Because he knew she was scared. And so he ends up talking to to the border patrol and like, no se que pasó. Like they just talked, they became friends and the border patrol forgot, forgot about the papers. And then That's that was awesome. it. And That's they left awesome. and I was like, that could have been so scary. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so awesome! That's you know, sad. like my dad was just—you know—he just gotta be like nothing's wrong. Like you're, you're there, you're part of it. You know, like yes. it was just very interesting. But again, it's—I'm thinking about it from your lens of—we know how to navigate these situations because we've had to be in those situations. Yes, and so yes. We're, we're creative. We're creative people. We're resourceful. We're like, all right, we're gonna figure it out. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. I mean, even even work. You know, like you bring, you know, you bring a Latino here to, you know, you know, do something to on your car or whatever, man. I don't. They'll they'll make that sucker run. Okay. They, and they're like, yes. wait a minute, you didn't come up with any tools. How'd you get it to run? <laughs> and it's crazy porque ahora mi papá he looks at YouTube, but I'm like, what did you do before YouTube? Because you were already fixing cars before YouTube. Like, how did you do? <laughs> and he's like, you just learned. And it's so funny because that's again how we grew up. I never went to the mechanic, and if yes. we did, it was one of our friends. You know, yes, like yes. he was like. Un tío, you know, like not yeah. even a real tío, but like a tío. <laughs> yes, no. Oh my God, but, just reminded me, I, I got to share this story because you just reminded me of something you're talking about your dad. So my dad, um, both my parents, again, also had some serious illnesses. But this goes to our, our story here about our, our, you know, our dad here and just that resiliency or just, try, you know, they're going to make figure it out. And um, it's kind of a scary story, okay? But but it just goes to show up um, to our point here. So um, my dad was losing his eyesight. He had diabetes. He was losing his eyesight. Plus, he was also colorblind. And he was still driving. And it wasn't until one day my mom says, I mijo, you know what? Like, I'm really getting scared of driving with your dad. There's been some in in instances where he almost hit someone. And I'm like, I'm like, really? He's like, yes. He can't even tell when the light turns red, green, or yellow. He asked me to tell him what color the light is, and then he takes appropriate action. He either slows down, stops, or keeps going. And when my mom told me that, I'm like, oh, it freaked me out, obviously, because I was scared for their safety. Right. But then I realized, like, damn, man, my dad, my dad is not going to give up. He's going to figure out how to keep doing things, you know? And, um, yeah. So anyways. Wow. Wow. Did, did he find out he was like. Oh, he knew. Yeah, he knew. But he knew it, but he, he was just like, okay, well, I'm going to rely, you know, uh, on my mom, you know, to, to let him know. And, and finally wow. we had to take the keys away, you know, from him or like, you are not driving anymore. Oh my God. You know, like going, I'm, I'm thinking about one other thing that kind of along the same lines of like our parents figure it out. Like, I wonder, I ha this is just like popped into my head, but I wonder if it's hard for them to rely on their children to translate, to do those basic things, because yeah. I, I bet for them, it just kind of, it's sometimes not frustrating, but it's just kind of like, oh, I should be doing this for my kid, you know? I know. I, you know what? I think you're right. I mean, I think it is definitely humbling for our parents um, with translation or just asking our, our kids. Um also, I mean, I know for my dad, too, as he got older and he could do less things, you know, my dad was, again, kind of the stereotypical, you know, macho uh, Mexican dad uh, doing things, working, you know, on his own, working very hard and this and that, very independent. And in his older age, because of his uh, health, um, 
I mean, shoot, there were times when I had a, my dad uh, got to the age where he had to wear adult diapers and I had to be the one to change his diapers uh, at times. And so, you know, to go from that independence, that macho uh, guy when he was younger to, you know, being older and his son doing these things. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's humbling. For sure. And especially with our, you know, our cultures, I think Mm -hmm. like we're very similar in the sense where our parents, they take care of everything. A to Z, you know, like they're all about family and providing and and being, you know, just a good foundation for their families. And so there's, there's so many things, so much, so much that's part of the first gen experience that makes us so resilient and makes us so strong. And I'm a big believer in that, whether it's in the workforce, in life, like we're better humans for being first gens. (laughs) And the example that we're providing for um, others uh, or, you know, when we have kids too, the example that we're providing to our kids too as well is important. So I I have one more question before we go into our cafecito and cheese portion. How has it been raising second generation kids? Yeah, so my kids, um, my kids, uh, my ex-wife is Filipino Mexican. Um, I don't know, like Mexican, I think maybe like four or five generations, I forget, and then Filipino, I think two or three generations. So, so my kids, uh, and also chi- part Chinese. So my kids are actually a mix of uh, uh, Mexicano, Filipino, and Chino. So yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, they're they're uh, they're they're a mix, and when up until middle school. Um, the agreement that my ex-wife and I had was that I would only speak to my kids in Spanish. She would uh, speak to them only in English. And so that's how it was, you know. And then, you know, they go off to middle school. And again, you know how what happens in middle school and high school. You, you know, begin to be a little rebellious and so forth. And um, mm-hmm. my, my kids were like, you know, why do you keep talking to us in Spanish? I can't understand you and this and that. I was just like, ah, I'm kind of frustrated. So I'm like, okay, you little suckers, okay? So I'm just going to speak to you in English here. Um, But they do understand, uh, they both understand English. They do speak Spanish, um, although they speak it with uh, an accent. Uh, My daughter actually works for me. And um, last month we kicked off uh, our online training program in Latin America. So I did some trainings in Spanish and uh, she does the introduction. She did it in Spanish and so forth. But um, it it was, um, you know, it was, for me personally, it was a sense of pride actually to continue to instill um, uh, my cultural values onto my kids. Uh, my daughter actually, her long-term plans is to be a professor of ethnic studies. Uh, and, um, you know, just her thesis paper in college was, the topic was on graduation rates uh, within uh, the, for Latinos. Uh, my son is a music major, and he has taken over the last kind of year and a half, two years, a really strong interest too, and as well in uh, uh, Latino music and et cetera and so forth. He's more of the um, uh, choir uh, singer, and uh, so so. Of course, I feel proud. You know that uh, my kids are now yeah. embracing more and more their uh, their their cultural, their ethnic uh, roots uh, as well. Um, and then also seeing them, though, because obviously, you know, I compare my upbringing to theirs and just seeing how they're navigating things differently. But there, there also are 
very proud of who they are um, and their their ethnicity, the the mix of their ethnicity. Mm, I love that. Okay, one more question. One more. Yes. What's your favorite thing about being Mexican, about being Mexican American, or being a minority? What's like your favorite thing in the whole world? Yeah. Whatever it is, like, what's your favorite thing? <laughs> you know, actually, the the. The, what, my favorite thing is that is our, the lessons that we've learned from our experiences. And we talked one about resiliency. The other is the warmthness of our culture. The, and the post earlier that you had mentioned where I, uh, I stated at the end, you know, that doesn't matter what you call yourself one of the things that remains true across generations and across the different uh, countries uh, is the warmthness or the hospitality of mi casa es tu casa. That warmthness of welcoming someone that is a complete stranger and opening up your home and saying, hey, come on in, you know, et cetera and so forth, or at least having that warmthness. I love that. I value that. Um, and um, and then the uh, the other thing too is the resourcefulness and the creativity uh, that we have. Um, again, I mean, yes, I, I have traveled, you know, traveled to Mexico last year. I was, I was blessed to also travel to Panama. And, um, you know, a, a lot of these people, it's, you know, it's uh, 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 that don't have much, uh, are so happy and so resourceful in, with mm-hmm. what it is that they have. Um, that sense of gratitude of, you know, of, of just uh, appreciating what it is that you have. Those are all things that I uh, truly, truly value and I love about uh, being, you know, whatever, Mexicano, Chicano, whatever the heck you want to call me minority. I don't give a rip, okay? I mean, it's like I said, it's, it's, it's a common thread across the board. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, let's go into our cafecito and chisme. And this segment is all about what are you up to now? It's focusing on you and all the things that you're doing right now with your company, with your stories, with your vulnerability, all of it, right? So tell us what you're up to now. Tell us a little bit about your business too. Yes. So I'm like, this, I want to hear about it again. <laughs> <laughs> so this month uh, marks five years that I launched my company. And um, the truth is, is that I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just knew that I wanted to venture out on my own. Uh, I wanted to sign the paycheck on the front instead of the back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so um, my first um, contract consulting gig was working uh at LinkedIn, I was I did community relations work for a year. It's a one-year uh, contract gig, and it was during that time that I worked at LinkedIn that it helped me further solidify my future plans, i.e., my business. And so um, I launched Aspida uh, Consulting, and we focus on two things: one is consulting work and community relations, workforce development, and then the second thing is training. Uh, training uh, professionals, uh, sales professionals, and also young professionals as well in uh, career development, social selling, your professional brand, et cetera, and so forth. And, um, um, you know, during COVID back in March, I remember exactly the date, March 16th, when we went into shelter in place, all my trainings used to be 
in person and they got all mm-hmm. canceled. And we did a, a pivot to online webinars, et cetera, and so forth. And it took us, I don't know, maybe about three months or so, three and a half months to start kind of seeing some return on our investment. But the last three months, two and a half months, um, I have been the busiest that I have ever been um, Mm. with a lot of trainings. Uh, The other day, I had the opportunity to travel to Chicago, Florida, El Salvador, and back home in one day virtually because I did trainings in all those uh, regions there. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and uh, and you know, recently brought on board a couple of new, two new folks onto the team as well. Uh, last month, I don't know if you saw, but I also launched launched my podcast uh, as well, Career Talk with OG. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, expanding virtually the trainings into uh, in Spanish into Latin America because that's a nice thing. I'm I'm fully bilingual, and so and bicultural. Okay, that's a huge mm-hmm. bicultural piece. Like you know, I I. I know all the new ones. Superpower. Absolutely. Like, listen, I can learn how to speak French, okay? But like, I don't know the (laughs) nuances. uh, You know, uh, you know, you know, France and all that stuff and stuff. So, all these things, uh, the light bulb has been going on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to like take advantage of the opportunities that are out there. Yeah, especially with, you know, people. I hope they feel that. I hope they feel the power in being bicultural and being bilingual and having these two and straddling these two different cultures and embodying both. Yes. Right. There's so much power in that. And I feel like stepping into that power is a game changer where you're like, yes, like these are two sides of me and I'm proud of both. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And and see that I, again, like, the light bulb went on last year when I went to Panama to do a series of trainings. It was through the U.S. Embassy in Panama. Uh, and uh, they asked me, they said, uh, do you need a translator? And uh, I kind of chuckled. I'm like, no, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm actually, you know, in fact, English is my second language. Okay. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's great. And, um, and, and, that, and again, that's the light bulb went on. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Because normally when, when trainers or speakers uh, travel to a foreign country, they only speak English. And so they bring a translator mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. The other thing too is I told you the bicultural piece, but the third piece is the fact that I'm from Silicon Valley because everyone and their grandmother wants to know what's up with Silicon Valley. So I'm like, I'm going to ride this horse until it dies. And it also creates that representation, right? Like mm-hmm. Latinos in these spaces, right. in these positions. I still remember one of the most beautiful trips that I've been on was when I went to Guatemala and it was a, it was a volunteer trip. And so I went and me quedé con una comunidad like linda, lindísima. And it was these kids, these like, these little, they call themselves patojos. That's what, <laughs> that's what Guatemala calls their kids, patojos. Um, and so I was there in the community with them and they were like, why are you here? I remember, I remember two of the kids asking me that. And I was like, ¿Cómo? And they're like, ¿Por qué estás aquí? Tu fuiste para allá, tu familia se fue para allá. So they're like little, they're little kids, but they're grown, bien adelantados. Yeah. And they were like, well, your family went over there so you can stay there. Why are you back here? And they just started laughing. And I was like, no, but I'm here because I want to be here with you. And she's like, really? <laughs> you want to be here? And they stuck to my hip like all that whole week. 
because I was the only one on that trip who knew how to speak Spanish. Yeah. So I'm like, I connected with them on a whole new level. Yes. And again, it's creating that. I mean, if I were in their shoes, I'd probably do the same. Mm-hmm. If I see someone who looks like me, if I see someone who speaks Spanish, similar to me and is from Central America, like I would be like, yes, I want to talk to that person. Course, yes, it's, but it's again creating that representation. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, a, a sense of belonging or being part of a group or finding someone. I mean, just think of like mm-hmm. you know, when, if when you travel to whatever another foreign country and you run into. I remember um, a few years back, I was, it was in Mexico, and um, I ran into a young college grad, um, and uh, he had been traveling from, I think. Oregon, Seattle, down all the way along the the uh, West Coast, down to Mexico, and he, and he was on his way back. But anyways, when found out, and he told me, you know, Seattle and Washington, and had, he had lived here in the Bay Area for a while. I, immediately, it was a connection, right? Like you're mm-hmm. in a home country, and it's that connection there. So I totally get. Yeah, what yeah, so beautiful. Well, how can people connect with you? How can people connect with Aspira? Right? Is that the yes. name of the company? Yeah. Just to make sure. Okay. How can people connect with you? How can people connect with your business, with Aspita, with just you? If they want to be your best friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we want to be my best friend with this introvert. Be careful, okay, folks, because my natural personality is an introvert. All right. It might take me a while to respond back to you. No. Um, well, one, you can connect with me. You can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, as you as you know. Also, you can uh, visit um, us, the our website, aspidaconsulting.com. Aspida, it's A-S-P-I-R-A, consulting.com. Uh, on Instagram, it's uh, Aspida Consulting, Inc., uh, as well. Uh, and then uh, you can always also look at the podcast uh, on the typical, you know, uh, uh, platforms uh, on Career Talk with OG as well. With OG, that's also my initial, yeah, by the way. But yeah. aquí tengo mi cafecito. I want to give you a chance to manifest. I think it's aguita. But I want to give you a chance to manifest some good for our Latino community, for our Latinx community, for you know whatever you know our community calls themselves, identifies yeah. as. But let's manifest some good for for our community and. So, yeah, what do you want to cheers to? What do you want to manifest? Yeah, so, you know, again, given the situation, the challenges that we are all going through right now, and some of us more so than others, um, I, what I want to let everyone know and leave you with this is, is that we don't need to find our voice. What we need to do is have the courage to use our voice. And so to having some courage to use our voice, salud. Salud. Gracias. Thank you for being on here. <laughs> you are welcome. No, thank you so much. And uh, again, I'm really proud of you for what you're doing in, with this podcast and the career journey that you on uh, that you're on, uh, mujer. Because you are muy super chingona. <laughs> chingona. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna use that. That's a that's a Mexican word for like, like yeah, badass, oh, right? Okay, right. Badass, yes. right? I, yes. Badass, chingona. I love it. <laughs> Muchísimas gracias for tuning into today's episode con Oscar Garcia. Connect with him on LinkedIn and check out his podcast, Career Talk with OG. Also check out his business, Espira Consulting, on Instagram and LinkedIn. And if you're anything like me and completely overthinking what kind of gifts to get these holidays, check out my Instagram, Latino Biz Story Highlight, for some inspo 
and make sure you listen to the end of every episode because I always give a Latino business a shout out. Remember to tune in next week for more cafecito and chisme and more hello Latino love. And I'd love to hear from you too. So reach out to me on Twitter at Olavis Jasmine, Instagram at ojasmine with four A's and find me on LinkedIn or check out my website, olavisjasmine.com. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Andureña. Stick around to hear from Chris Gates, co-founder of Bison. Gente, what's up? This is Chris Gates. I had the pleasure of being Odalis' guest in the Cuba Through My Eyes episode of this amazing podcast. Today, I want to invite you to a free month's membership to my startup, Rise On. Founded by two first-gen Latinos, Rise On is like taking a Zumba class for your mental and emotional health. Our mission is to build humans from the inside out, and we help first-gen folks just like you to grow and to heal. So whether you're struggling with life's challenges or just thirsty for a community to help you grow, Rise On is for you. Every week, we create a space for mindful introspection in community. That's what you get when you mix mindfulness, journaling, coaching, and vulnerable conversations. It's a space to be seen authentically, to develop self-awareness and build inner skills alongside a group of inspiring peers. Our goal is to help you to tap into your own power consistently, to find perspective, clarity, and direction anytime you need it. Over the past two years, we've designed hundreds of experiences for our clients to do just this. These are entrepreneurs and young professionals who trace their roots to some 20 countries. Folks who, despite being brilliantly talented and looking like they got it all together from the outside, are working through some real life challenges. So join us. We'd like to invite every listener of this podcast to experience a Rise On membership for free for an entire month. That includes our weekly Rise On sessions, live and online, plus on-demand mindfulness content and daily community support. To activate your free month Rise On membership, visit www.riseon.life. That's R-I-S-O-N dot L-I-F-E. Riseon.life. Mi gente, let's rise on. Thank you.